like you start out and then you say, okay, well, it, uh, we had proof of concept and that it's, it's making us money when it rents. But the reality is, is like you probably need to hold on to your job to build yourself some capital and just be patient. Like do do what you're doing on the side. And that's why like I, I'm big about doing things on our own, like without the cost of labor because it's, it's a huge money saver. So we can continue to build our egg and our, our own capital to invest in, in other properties and to do other things like that. So it just it takes more time than uh, there's no get rich quick scheme. Right. So it's I think that's the biggest frustration, at least early on. This is Vets in the House, a co-podcast where we sit down with military veterans to share stories about life, the military, and the good, the bad, and the ugly of buying homes. I'm your host, Chase Blakey, alongside Nate Hyatt, and today we're hanging out with Sean Broderick, pond hockey stumbling dad living his best Amazonian life on Long Island in a house that presents a near-perfect dilemma for he and his family. Sean? Good to see you, man. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, really glad to have you. We got Nate Hyatt here as well. And it's it's been a while, but I'm glad we get the, the chance to kind of catch up and, and hear how life's going and hear your stories about real estate. Um, well, how you been, man? How you doing? Good, good. Uh, it's been, what, a year since uh left Mass 6? But yeah. Living a dream since then. Yeah. Well, where are you at these days? What's, what's going on? Uh, so yeah, I moved back uh, to Long Island. I'm currently on the North Fork in a town called Laurel, uh, working for Amazon currently. Uh, I've been there for two years now as a senior station manager, but before that, I was in a, in a much different uh, industry. But I'm not going to get into that. So <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, thanks, man. So let's go ahead and walk back. Give us a little intro about your military career. Um, what, how did you get in? What did you do? And, uh, what, what did that, all that look like for you? Sure. So, uh, I was actually with the two of you, uh, over at mass three in, in San Diego, Camp Pendleton commissioned in 2012, uh, graduated from the university of Pittsburgh and then went into, uh, the basic school from there. 7208 is, uh, the MOS designator, which is uh, air support control officer. Uh, and I was in San Diego for the bulk of it, but I did, uh, like, I don't know, five and a half years active 2012 to 2017. I had orders to Okinawa, and my wife and I decided, fiancé at the time, that we didn't want to go and uh, not allow her to put down roots. So decided to move back to Long Island and then uh, join the reserves for a couple of years. That's great, man. Yeah. Yeah, we uh, definitely had a had a great introduction to, to what it was to be a young lieutenant under the tutelage of, of the fine Sir Sean Broderick at Mass 3. That was quite an experience. I was a little cranky coming back from... Uh, Nine months at sea. Yeah, yeah. How's that been for you at the Amazon? You feel like that uh, that bodes you well with what you do now? Being cranky or uh, yeah, because <laughs> uh, no, much less cranky now than I was. Uh, it is now I get to come home and uh, I got two beautiful kids that I come home to every day. So every day is a blessing, Chase. <laughs> I love it. How how old are the kiddos now? Uh, my daughter Reagan's turned four in April, so uh, a month and a half, and my son Rory just turned two. And uh, he, for his birthday, he decided to throw up all over the inside of my new truck. So that was <laughs> that was a treat. Keeping you on your toes—that's uh, that's probably not not unlike um, managing a bunch of lieutenants, though, right? I mean, it, it, that's got to be about the same. 
Yeah, I just didn't have a new truck for them to throw up into, but there was there was plenty of that. So. <laughs> the first the first I time it. I met you guys, I, I didn't know if I wanted to tell this story, but I'll tell it. I think it was at uh, Belching Beaver in was that San Marcos. Okay, yeah. it was the brewery where you guys. Uh, someone took me out to yeah, come like meet, meet the Vista. new lieutenants. That's right. I was just starting to have some back trouble and some hip trouble, and uh, there was a, a fire pit there. <laughs> Can I tell the story? Is this is this safe? This is great. I love that. This is one of my favorite stories of you, man. I'm sure it is. First introduction to their new XO, and I walk up, and uh, my hip gave out, and I fell face first into a, a roaring fire. Came out unscathed, no burns. But you got kicked out because they said you were too drunk. <laughs> <laughs> It wasn't true. We had just we had we had not drank yet. We had just got to the brewery. My hip, my poor old hips gave out. That was the best part. They couldn't believe that a twenty-something-year-old man had a broken hip that would plunge him into a fire pit. That was uh, gotta love it. Well, all right. So obviously, you know, as you know, the point of this show is to to hang out, catch up, obviously have some good laughs. But we want to hear a little bit about real estate. Um, I know that that's something that you have been involved in for a while. Um, you've done a little bit here and there along the way. I mean, I know you got your MBA, which I think helped you a little bit as well. But can you tell me a little bit about the very first place that you purchased? How did it sure. go? The good, the bad, the ugly. Just just walk us through that. Uh, all right. So when we moved back from San Diego, my wife and I moved into a small apartment complex in a town called Matterville, which is, uh, I don't know, it's like 40 minutes west of where I am now. It's just all farm fields and there's nothing to do out there. Uh, this is 2017. So the market hadn't really, it was pre-COVID, so the market was kind of stabilized. Um, we were looking for our first house because we were getting married in, in October and we wanted to, to have our first like starter home. We had no kids at the time. Um, so... We were looking around, looking around, found a realtor to find a place. And what our, our initial goal was, was to purchase a property uh, that needed some love, uh, do the renovations ourselves because we're cheap, um, and then try and flip the house. So that's what we ended up attempting. Um, we purchased the house that I'm sitting in right now uh, in 2018. I think it was like 424 was the mortgage. Um, but we used the VA loan. So at the time... Uh, when the market was less competitive, the VA loan was a was a viable option. Like young and starting out, didn't have a lot of money down for a down payment, so the VA loan is zero percent down. Um, got into the house. We ran into some issues with the financing because of some of the the stuff. The house was built in 1975, so some of the stuff wasn't up to the VA's like code restrictions. Um, but we were able to get around that, and the seller worked with us uh, quite a bit uh, in that and. Turned down other offers because she uh, she met us in person, and she wanted to s sell to someone that was local to this town. So we ended up purchasing the home again with the VA loan, and then uh, financed from our own savings all of the renovations, uh, which was it took us uh, uh, probably six months to do by hand. My wife was pregnant with our first at the time, so Nate, I think you told me that I'm really good at at doing a thousand things at once. So I got out of the military, uh, bought a house, got married and quit smoking all in the, the same three months. So, uh, very casual, very <laughs> casually. Yeah. <laughs> Pregnant wife slinging a sledgehammer around. Yeah. So we and were the quitting smoking piece. You're just stressed the whole time. <laughs> no, yeah, there's no stress being married to a, a pregnant woman. None at all. 
But yeah, he was talking about smoking, but I love that. <laughs> <laughs> or quitting smoking. Yeah, so one day I was doing the uh, – we were cutting tile for the, the backsplash in the kitchen. And Aaron came home from work one day, uh, very pregnant. She must have been, I don't know, six months pregnant at the time. And I was, I was anxious to finish for her to walk in and see a beautiful kitchen. The counters had just been put in. I had one little strip of backsplash left to do, and I was I rented a uh, the wet saw from Home Depot, and I was just finishing it off with a hand grinder. And uh, she walked in, and the house was covered in uh, tile dust, and she just broke yeah. into tears on the front lawn. And that was uh, oh no. Oh. We stayed at the in-laws that night. <laughs> yeah, the tile dust will that is that is one of the nastiest jobs, like in terms of what it does to your house if you don't prepare for that in advance or if you don't have a way to keep it wet or, or, or suck it out, it just gets into everything. I'm still finding tile dust like upstairs. It's, it's insane. Yeah. And that was a big concern of mine uh, was tile dust as a smoker for 15 years was my lung health. Okay. So that's great. So you did, I've actually heard a lot of people who've kind of said that you're like, okay, we're going to buy a place. We're going to flip it ourselves, go to work. Uh, was that your first experience doing home renovations on that scale or did you come from a construction background or anything like that before your time in the Marine Corps? Uh, that's a great question. So I, I've always been like kind of handy, uh, not great. I've gotten better, but, um, when I graduated college, I had 11 months before I reported to, to the basic school and I was, uh, I guess arrogant at the time and said, I'm not going to move back in with my parents. I'm going to make it on my own steam. And I, I got a job as a uh, residential construction worker in, in Pittsburgh in the inner city. And I've worked for my landlord for a little while, but it was mostly demolition and like hanging sheetrock, nothing, uh, no like finish work. So I had the basics, like the carpentry basics, but nothing uh, super advanced. But most of it, uh, I'm not embarrassed to say I learned on YouTube, like yeah. just trial and error on YouTube. I got uh, most of the material, like the tile. I got all the, the backsplash in the kitchen and the bathrooms that I did for free just by offering to clear out um a woman who owned a tile store needed help clearing out the warehouse and making her storage area more, more clean. So I went in there and, and provided her some, some labor and she hooked me up in return. So you got to do what That's you can cool. to try and reduce cost. I like that. Was that how, how big a discount are we talking? On the tile? She So she gave me the excess stuff that like people had ordered and uh, didn't end up using. So it was just, it was going to, it was headed for the landfill. Oh, wow. Anyway. So it was like free. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, well, I paid with my labor, but. Yeah. For all intents and purposes, that's, that's right. cool, man. So you, you, you had, so you had a little bit of experience, but I like, I like what you cued in on there with YouTube. Um, from someone like myself who really zero handy experience before I started owning homes, I, I knew nothing. I was not, I was not trained on any of that. My jobs were, you know, before the Marine Corps was in like catering and pawn shop. I was not, I was not a handy type. Uh, YouTube has been everything. Uh, it's amazing what what that stuff will do. I'm, and I think most people. I figured that out by now. Um, so, so fast forward to today, you, you've been working on this place. Um, I'm sure you got a, a load of equity built up in it by now, but what else, what else have you gotten into and looked at and in terms of your real estate journey? Um, what, what else have you been involved with? Yeah. So, uh, when COVID hit the, the market out where I am on the, on, in Long Island is kind of unique. So Manhattan kind of emptied out with COVID and everybody moved out to the, the forks. So like the Hamptons on South Fork and then the North Fork, which is where I am. 
became like a luxury getaway for everybody that wanted to. Once remote work started taking off, people were were looking for rentals, like single family home rentals. Um, so my wife and I, after getting, uh, we kept getting the comp analysis done on our property. We weren't seeing what we wanted in terms of a flip. We're like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just well, we're going to put it on Airbnb, and we're going to see what we can get for a rental perspective. So we rented it out uh, this property for. Uh, really the hot time for this market is like Memorial Day through Labor Day, um, which is when you can get the, the bulk of your, I guess, revenue for the for the property. And we were, I think, in, we rented it from May through August and we got uh, close to $40,000 uh, for that time period. Uh, just renting it to two separate couples in Airbnb. So we had to go through the town permitting process to figure out the, like, the local uh, restrictions on, on rentals. It's two-week minimum stay here. Um, and we vetted everybody through Airbnb and ended up with uh, two couples who rented for a month and a half each. And it was very easy for us. The not easy part was finding somewhere else to go in the meantime, right? So we were lucky enough to stay with our in-laws and my parents for, that was two summers ago. Uh, but since then, the market here has been exploding. So it's there's no uh, inventory for like, uh, let's say a starter home like we found three years ago, four years ago here, where we could pay 400000 for something that's livable. Right now, the market's looking like eight hundred thousand, nine hundred thousand for something that is uh, needs a lot of work. Needs the same amount of renovations that we did to this place, uh, but for the increased price of material at this, like where we're at right now. So we actually used uh, Chase's calculator here to kind of model out how we would uh, like could we swing it a bigger mortgage by renting this place full time, and we ran three or four separate models showing if we were to get best case scenario, worst case scenario, uh, and we can afford a much larger mortgage. I'm just not super comfortable buying a uh, million dollar house that I got to put $300,000 into to make it livable. So next we're looking, uh, my wife and I are actually taking a trip in two weeks down to Raleigh, Raleigh, Durham, to go scout out some properties down there and uh, look to continue to build our rental portfolio uh, in the meantime. So uh, one thing I want to kind of go back a little bit to when you bought this house initially, you said you used the VA loan, but you ran into some complications about the, or with the VA loan that you had to mitigate and come through. I think our viewers would probably get uh, some, some real value out of how you worked through, like what that problem was and how you worked through it. If you go into a little bit more depth on that and explain it. Sure. Yeah. So when you're, when the house is getting inspected, typically the, whoever the financier is, has certain inspection requirements, but for a VA loan, it's like much more in depth than you would get from like a conventional mortgage. So there was like a, a couple of little things, like the way that the, the front porch was brick and stone initially, and it was cracked. So it was sitting on like a, uh, like it's indicative of like a foundation issue if it's stone like that. So the VA wouldn't insure it until we replaced the, or they wouldn't finance the loan until the, the front porch is replaced. So I ran into an issue with home insurance after that. So we ripped out the front porch. I, again, did everything myself with like my dad and my, my father-in-law. Rented out the jackhammer from Home Depot. We ripped out the, the concrete slabs and the, the brick and everything else. And replaced it with, cedar at first then i just put treks in in the front to make it longer lasting in the interim when i didn't like the the two-week period that i didn't have the front steps there the home insurers come by and see that there's no steps and now they say we're not going to insure your house we'll check back in a week so i had a week to rebuild the entire front front stoop 
um, and send them pictures oh to validate that it was done. Similar was like the, uh, there was no railing going down to the, the basement. I know, Chase, you don't know what a basement is because you live in Florida, uh, <laughs> but it's this place underground where you store all your stuff. So there, uh, there was, To hide from your snow. That's right, to hide from all the snow. Which, which comes from Santa. Yes, Santa drops the snow Christmas and it stays until like March. Uh, but there was no handrail going down. So we built a wooden handrail and took pictures and sent it over to, uh, we had financed originally through USAA uh, for the VA loan and sent it over them, uh, pictures, like proof of that we completed the work and then they financed the loan. Um, but we ended up refinancing, like just don't don't stick with the military banks because they don't necessarily have the best rates. All right, so like we started with USAA then we went over to Citizens Bank uh, just because they offered us a better rate. And we refinanced initially to a conventional loan after living here for a year, so that way, A, you got a better rate, and B, you get the VA loan back. Okay, yeah, that's that's great. So just to kind of recap that, that's all very, very valuable information, I think. So when you came up against different pieces that the VA was specific about, you were able to mitigate it by just doing the work and addressing the issues at that time so that you could continue on with the house buying process. And then when you ran into the insurance issues, you were able to then address those issues as well so that you could keep going with it. So there was always a solution you were able to find to be able to keep moving forward with the VA loan. I mean, it sounds like you really put the strong in Strong Island for a little bit of it, but really good work. And then going and getting it refinanced conventionally because you'd already probably accumulated the equity to that 20% in the home so that you could have a conventional loan. And then you got your entire VA allotment back to be able to redeploy at some point. So I think those were all really, really good and creative moves on your part. Yeah. So the only issue that we're running into here is with the VA loan is that, um, again, the, like most people, like our seller happened to be patient, right? So when the VA says, uh, well, we, we need to see this done first, you, you have two options. You can ask the seller to fix it, which they're probably not going to do if there's multiple offers on the table, or B, you can offer to fix it. Like you just have to eat eat that as part of the the price of the house, right? So like I could have asked the seller to replace the front porch, but why would she do that when she has six other offers, right? So that's a disadvantage of, of the VA loan in, in some cases, but it depends on who the seller is, I guess. And if like, so for the handrail in the basement, before she even sold us the house, she said, you guys can come in and put up the rail if you want, but I'm not doing it. So we said, okay, like we want the house. We'll, we'll come in and do it. But you found a way to, to bring value to the deal, which made them want to go with you. I mean, that's another thing. If, if you're willing to go do take the time to do the handrail, she, she knows you're going to close, right? You're not going to just go work on a handrail and then walk away. That's uh, definitely a, an interesting way to go about it. I, I like that. Very creative. Um, another thing you did that I thought was good, and this is this is something we talk about a lot, which, you know, buying a home, you, you originally said you bought the home because you wanted to kind of do like a live-in renovation and then maybe... You know, your exit strategy wasn't necessarily sure if you wanted to hold on to it for a while, sell it, rent it, whatever. Uh, but you bought the home with knowing that you had options with it as a, as a rental, as kind of a fallback plan, which I love. And, and you, you mentioned a little bit Airbnb city permitting. Can you walk a little bit into what do you mean when, when you say I had to square away things with the city? What, what did that look like? How did you do that? What was that? What was that process? Yeah. So uh, the town I live in is called... Southold, uh, South, Southold Town, it goes from uh, essentially Village of Greenport all the way out to uh, to Laurel, uh, which is where I am. But what I did, I just reached out to the local building department and saw like what the, the regulations were, right? So they have it pre- pretty much on any town's website. You can find like the, through the building department. 
uh, what the requirements are. So the rental process was a, an entire rental application. You had to fill out, it goes over the, the minimum stays. The minimum stays though, take this for what you will, but like the advice I got from the building department is, yeah, there's a fine if you don't follow it, but is that the cost of doing business? You have to make that determination yourself. We, we played by the book. Um, did everything by the two-week minimums, but there was a lot of requirements we had to do. So you need to make sure that all the renovations you were doing could get you a seat. Like you needed to have a CO for everything. The town inspector has to come in and inspect the work that you've done. All the fire code is, is up to date. We had to replace the doorway into the garage, as an example, right, to, before we could rent it because it has to be a fireproof door. Uh, smoke alarm installation, carbon monoxide, and all the, the rooms by a square footage. It's like a ton of little stuff you have to do, but each town building department or municipality will have that information as to what you need to do. Um, so we did that and we got our rental permit, which is good for two years. Yeah, that's good. Just go into the city and, and figure out what needs to be done. I mean, that's kind of a problem solver's mind mindset is is finding the, the source, figuring out what needs to get done and actually doing it. I think it's easy to get a little bogged down. Even, even listening to this, I think maybe for a person who's considering buying a home with all, a lot of the stuff you've talked about, they're probably like, yeah, that's more than I want to get into. I mean, renovating, getting the tile saw out, having my pregnant wife yell at me. Uh, that's a lot. Um, and it's, and it's fair, but that's, you know, that's, these are some more advanced ways. And these, this is the reality, I think of real estate, dude. Like it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows. And, and I'm glad that you're, you're here to kind of talk through a little bit of how it, as long as you're able to look at it as a solvable problem and you have people in your network resources to, to lean on for advice or for handiwork or whatever, um, it, it is it is a very solvable thing. So that, that's really cool. Go ahead, Nate. Oh, yeah. And I just wanted to also emphasize, so even with all that work and heartache and everything, the area that you ended up buying in, you, you alluded to it, but the house is probably appreciated significantly and paid for all that time, effort, tenfold based off of what has taken place in the market. Yeah, and this is something I'm texting Chase about all the time. So we're we're like torn right now between do we try and we have the models that show us we can get that more expensive mortgage and rent this full time and cover essentially like reduce my mortgage liability by I don't know fifteen hundred dollars, or I could sell this at the top of the COVID market out here and probably get double to 60, 60, I don't know, uh, more than what we paid for it. But the, the question is, where do you go? Right. So like, we're kind of constrained by it. We have two young kids right now. So our families are local here. We'd like to stay here. Uh, but again, I work for Amazon, which is everywhere coming to a town near you. And then we can, we can go anywhere essentially. So we're open, we're open to other areas. It's just uh determination of what we want to do with this property at this point. So that's the challenge, right? I mean, I feel like that's the trade-off in, in real estate. It's like a life design piece where you're trying to figure out, given what we have, what we need, how do we allocate the effort we want to put into? Do we move? Um, it's, it's, it's an ongoing thing. That's what makes it a little fun and a little frustrating at times, but definitely ongoing. It's easier when the Marine Corps just gave me a piece of paper and said, this is where you're going. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is what you'll wear today. This is Sorry. where you will go. <laughs> they, they told me we have to move to San Diego. I don't know uh-huh. Yeah. Lots of blur. Well, speaking of frustrations, man, like what's your, what do you think is the biggest lesson that you've learned as you've gone through this entire process from the Sean that, you know, had never bought a home, never really thought maybe about real estate and to where you are now, what do you think is the biggest takeaway? Yeah. So, uh, I think just being realistic with what 
this means, right? So like when, when I was first getting out, we were big into like, oh, we're going to be financially independent. We're not going to work W-2 jobs. Like we're just going to do, you know, like use other people's money and all the things, all the, the uh, buzzwords that you hear, right? But then you start looking at, well, holy cow. <laughs> it costs uh, $40,000 for siding. And then it's uh, for to redo my front steps was like three grand, right? Just for the Trex material, which looks a little bit nicer. Like you start out and then you say, okay, well, it, uh, we had proof of concept in that it's it's making us money when it rents. But the reality is, is like you probably need to hold on to your job to build yourself some capital and just be patient. Like do do what you're doing on the side. And that's why like I, I'm big about doing things on our own, like without the cost of labor because it's, it's a huge money saver. So we can continue to build our egg and our our own capital to invest in in other properties and to do other things like that. So it just it takes more time than uh, there's no get rich quick scheme, right? So it's I think that's the biggest frustration at least early on. Yeah, yeah, you kind of think it's going to be going to be a lot easier, right? Well, well, I think I really like what you just said there about how and there's another piece. There's another reason having a W two is great because you're you're lendable, right? You're more lendworthy with a W two, and that's one of the wonderful things for folks that are still on active duty is that W-2 is very stable because the, the government is seen as highly stable by lenders. Um, and, that, and there's a large reason why the VA loan is, is backed too. But um, for, for active duty side, I mean, what would you say to somebody who is eligible for a VA loan and is, is still on active duty? What would be your advice to them as they're, as they're starting out? I, I lived fast, let's say that, until my <laughs> wife uh, came into my life. Um, so had I been more financially astute, I guess, younger, I would have, like, looking back, I would have, every time you move duty stations, like, look to use a VA loan and purchase a property. Because, you know, everyone's on orders, right? So every couple of years, people are going to be moving and looking to rent a property. The bulk of officers, I think, that we, we knew were probably renting. I know I rented when I was in, when we lived in San Diego. Um, so just like you have that, that resource available to you, even while you're on active duty. So why not utilize it? Like you have a steady paycheck, you know, you're going to be there for three, four years before you move to the next place and then keep it as a rental property if you want to, uh, or do a little bit of work over the course of the three years and, and try and, and turn the property. So you're telling me that, uh, paying the mortgage at Tipsy Crow through your bar tap wasn't worth it and probably should have bought a house instead? No, it was worth it. It was definitely worth it because I <laughs> lots of good memories. No regrets. <laughs> Not even a single letter. <laughs> and I didn't go to Tipsy Crow. We stayed at Churchill's in uh, San Marcos. <laughs> oh, yes, of course, Churchill's. Yeah, John's classy, man. It was very like classy. <laughs> well, that's great, man. Yeah, I wish, obviously, I wish I would have done exactly what you just said but i did not same and uh it's amazing how many people you talk to that say the same thing they're like just just buy a good asset every time you move find a way to make it happen because by the time you get out whenever you choose to get out first off you get to dictate the terms of when that's going to be right you're not you're not hanging around for the wrong reasons or if you are hanging around you're hanging around for the right reasons and then you you have this this wonderful portfolio to greet you on your way out the door i guess the the other question i got for you man is is there's a lot of different ways to, to make money and spend your time. What, why real estate? Well, well, obviously, the last uh, two years, the market's been doing what it's been doing. I work for Amazon. You can see where the stock is on that. Reading and, and research kind of made me comfortable with, with the fact that, like, you could do something with your own hands that's going to give you uh, a good return. It's an appreciable asset, right? So um, I think I don't, I don't want to quote 
rich dad, poor dad. That's like the, the lamest <laughs> book to quote, but I don't know. It's like, that's just the way that you accumulate wealth is through asset accumulation, right? So trying to, to figure out how to open up different streams of, of income for ourselves, besides my wife and I both work in W2s, is going to make things easier for us as we get older and then obviously help build a, a better future for our two kids, you know? So real estate seemed like the best way for us to do that. And it's something that we both took a huge interest in, my wife and I, and, and we want to continue to learn more. Obviously, we're going to make mistakes as we go, but it's still exciting, like you said. I, I, I love where your head's at with this. Obviously, I mean, Nate and I both, you know, it's, it's fun bringing you on here, Sean, because we both respect you uh, as a leader, as a person, um, what you do in your family. Uh, it, it, it's you, you have been a good example for us in, in, in many ways. Uh, I've taken a lot of cues from you um, over the years, and that's been really fun to watch. Um, I, I'm curious about what's next for you, man. Like, well, I understand you're building this, you're building a family. Uh, you got a great career going. You got real estate going, um, and you just want those opportunities to, to open up for your family as you pr- proceed with this. But And you talked a little bit about Raleigh, but, man, can you share with us a little bit about your vision? I mean, 10 years from now, where are you at? What, what, what's going on and, and, and how is what you're doing now going to get you there? Yeah, so I'm 32 right now, 33 soon. 10 years from now, hopefully, I'm not going to say not working at Amazon. I'd like to still be working at Amazon for the official uh, record. Um, but <laughs> that's yeah, for you, I, Bezos. <laughs> and Andy Jesse now, it's not Bezos anymore. But yeah, but uh, ideally what I'd like to do is in 10 years, my kids will be 14 and 12 right so by my goal is by the time that they're graduating high school like they have like i can give them something to start off with right so like at 18 years old or when my daughter graduates college if she chooses to go is uh here's here's a property that is already set up for you you know it's already it's already generating income for you and teaching them kind of financial literacy so that way they're in a position i'm big on like the the concept of upward mobility you know like you start wherever you do in life and then it's up to you to make it better for the next generation that, that comes in so that way they have a, a step up ideally like if, if the market turns here and we can stay on long island that that'd be great uh, if it doesn't then we're like i said we're not looking to uh my parents are both retired or my mother's not yet but she will be soon hopefully and my in-laws are both retired so nothing says that they can't follow us wherever we get a job on the map right to to try and better ourselves so because you want the kids to have a good relationship with their with their family, you know, not be too far away. Absolutely, man. And I know you. Uh, I mean, you know, in terms of of your free time and 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 how you would be spending that. I I learned something from you recently of how you were spending your time this weekend, broken back and all, um, with with all your your injuries. You found a way to flail around on an ice rink, on a pond, uh, and apparently the rules are different. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about this? Is, you know, I'm from Florida. Obviously, this is this is foreign concept to me. But can you explain a little bit about what this pond hockey stuff is? Yeah, so we play in a uh, – it's like a, a beer league out here. Uh, they had a rink in, in town of Greenport, but they shut it down this year for whatever reason. But uh, so you, ice time for us is 6 – no, 5.45 on Saturday mornings uh, in Southampton. So we drive down there like 5 a.m. and go skate for an hour. It's a bunch of older guys. We, it's it's an hour skate. We go down playing, and there was a pond hockey tournament up in Binghamton, New York, this past weekend. So I just got back uh, this day, Tuesday, and I got back Sunday night. It was great, and uh, we're playing in the D division because we're not the uh, the greatest skaters. 
uh, but the D division in Syracuse and Binghamton means something much different than it does in, in Long Island. So the first two teams we played were the uh, the women's teams, uh, and it was an upset. They beat us very badly. The, we played the first game was against the Syracuse women's ice hockey team. Was it an upset, though, or did, did they just, just beat your ass and that was expected? It was an upset for me. <laughs> they expected Oh, <laughs> oh you were upset about it. <laughs> but it, it, it took it. the sting away a little bit as uh, as we watched them resoundly beat every single guy's team that weekend, So and badly. That's, that's so awesome. It didn't hurt as bad that we were the first ones down. Yeah. I remember, uh, I think Dolnik was a pretty good hockey player, if I recall. She played at Navy, didn't she? Uh, her and uh, Jenny Bologna. Yeah. 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 So... Well, that's cool, man. So is that is that what uh, is that what you'd be doing, or would you be more? more that's it. So that's the winter time. Now in the summertime, I play in a uh, a beer league for beach volleyball. Oh, okay. Yeah. Top Gun. Well, <laughs> I like not, it, man. Yeah, I'm not in the same shape I used to be, but it's still fun. <laughs> Everything has to be after oh, bedtime great. or before the kids wake up, and then that's the that's the free time you get when you're when you got kids. I like it. Otherwise, I'm doing yard work. Yeah, that's your solitude, huh? On the mower. <laughs> out there like Forrest Gump what uh Nate what questions you got man I think one thing I would really like to know is what is an educational resource or book that has really helped you along with your financial journey to either that helped get you started or has helped further your education along the way that you think is really profound and would be really good for other people to listen to or read yeah so uh one of the first books that I got into uh like as we started out as civilians, or she was already a civilian, but trying to figure out like how to navigate married life and how to start building your nest egg and all this stuff was, uh, I forget who it's by, but it's called The Number. And it talks through... The Number. Yeah, so it, it essentially talks through like what what is the, your retirement number? And, and uh, for most people, it's like a pretty abstract number that continues to shift, right, as the years go on. But in reality, like what could you with maintaining your current lifestyle or, or improving it slightly, like what, what could you live off of for the next 50, 60 years? Right. And like trying to figure out what the math looks like scientifically and like mathematically assuming X percent return, like what, where could you be? Uh, let's say by 45, what number do you need to be at for you to, if, if you wanted to stop working, right. With no other income. And I think that like provided kind of a good background understanding for me as to like, well, you don't need this like magical, $30 million to retire, right? Like it could be much less than that, depending on what your current lifestyle is. So that kind of helped us to align uh, our budgeting and, and how we, we approach personal finances, like the trying to maintain this, this same standard of living. Like we don't live badly, but we're not uh, super extravagant, but that's not really our style either. Uh, and I'm going out much less now that, that I'm married with, with two beautiful babies. But yeah, so that was definitely a big help, like put things into perspective a little bit. And then, there's another book, uh, and I won't plug where it's from, but it is a, uh, I was just going over like how to estimate rehab costs, like by using uh, like the price materials basically. So you could walk into a property and say, it looks like I need 20, 20 boards of sheetrock in here. I know that's going to cost me X. Um, and that definitely helped me when I was doing the initial estimates of this place, trying to see like what, what we could afford to fix and what we couldn't against, like what brings value to the list price. Like if you're trying to flip a house. Um, so some things like if you were to put in a fence, as an example, unless it has a pool, there may not be like a good return on that investment, right? But if you're putting in uh, countertops, it's it's definitely a higher return 
you know, it could be the same price, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's good to know, for sure. Well, man, what what questions do you have for us? You got any? We we've been grilling you and and giving you stuff. Do you have anything for us in uh, in particular? Walk me through what you guys are doing. Where's this going? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, this is. This is a podcast, man, where we bring on folks just like you. I mean, that that is first and foremost what our mission is. Uh, we we've seen what happens when people get oversold on on the, on the dream. Uh, we think it's great to have optimism going into stuff, but we also think the reality check is is pretty critical. Um, and we we know the power of stories um, of people who have gone through it, who are just like us. And, and the lessons that they've learned along the way. So we want to elevate the stories to everybody, make sure they hear them, um, and help point people in the right direction. So if there's if someone's ready to take that step, if they have more questions, uh, that's what we're here for. And we, we want to point veterans in the right direction and make sure they responsibly get into homeownership. And we don't want people doing what all three of us right here admitted to, which is not starting when we should have uh, and waiting too late. Uh, that number you're talking about, the number is one that you can reach a whole lot earlier if you do start now, so that that's what this is all about. Uh, we're we're pretty excited about it, and you know we'll see where it goes, man. But yeah, thanks for asking. You guys are always hustling. And Nate, what are you doing now <laughs> besides the podcast? Well, I'm still selling real estate full time, and uh, you know always putting together different deals, and constantly part of different investment groups, looking for the next real estate investment, as well as managing the current current ones, and you know. As Chase said, really trying to help bring people together and educate them on what what real estate is all about, what the benefits, the drawbacks, the good and the bad are so that people can really go in eyes opened and really kind of pull back some of the mystery of it so that people can feel confident taking action sooner, the education stories like, like guys like you. So I always have my hand in a little bit of everything, but this is just one of Chase and I's just super big passions. So it's really exciting to be able to pursue that right now too. Now, did you ever submit your application for the bachelor? Cause I know we were pushing you to do that back on active duty. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, we might, we, might not, <laughs> we might not need to have this on the podcast, but they did actually reach out to me last year. I didn't even reach out. <laughs> no, they reached out to me. They, I swear to God, I could show you the uh, the DMs that they DM'd me on Instagram. And I was like, this isn't real. But so, yeah, they reached out to me. Um, and I had a couple of interviews, went up to L.A. and interviewed, then had to submit this whole package and video. Ultimately, we decided that it wasn't the right fit after going through the interview process. And so they didn't have me on the show. But it would have been pretty fun to do. So you're on the bench for next yeah, year. Yeah, they benched me. He's in the bullpen. That's yeah. fine. We'll see. <laughs> Oh, man. I may be too old to go on now. They like those young boys. Yeah. Who knows, man? Um, well, Sean, good to see you, brother. Thanks for coming on. Uh, had a great time chatting with you and, and seeing just your your kind of story as you've progressed and the creativity you've brought to it. It's always, it's always interesting when you have the family and the wife and, and all the different opinions and things that you have to bring into it. You know, you get a lot of single guys, and it makes it a lot simpler. It's, it's something to pay mind to. When you're starting out, it's just you. If you're single, it's a lot easier to get started and get going. As, as life comes in, you have more um, more opinions that, that are framing where you're going to live. You can't just raise a family anywhere, right? Like, and your, your wife's not just going to live anywhere. Um, and so you, you get to kind of get creative as you proceed with that. So thanks for sharing. Uh, really appreciate having you on, man. Look forward to seeing what comes next for you. All right. Love you guys. Good to see you. Thanks for having me on.
If you're listening to this, then you're missing out. Check out our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and website for more tips. You can find the link in the description for the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you have questions about anything you heard today, please reach out to us via text message or phone call at 858-633-1775. 